0: David to 1 Samuel chapter 16. One of our prayer team handed me a letter, a little note this morning of what the Lord laid on their heart, and I want to share that with you. Come close, my children. Sit close to me. Allow me to share my thoughts with you. Feel my breath on your face. Hear the beat of my heart. I want you to feel my comfort and my strength. Unstable times will come, but if you are leaning on My breast, you will not fear. When the world around you fails, and it will, I will not fail you. Those who keep their distance will not find comfort. Draw near while you can. If you do, you will know how great My love and My comfort is. Amen. Let's go to the Lord this morning. Lord, I know that there are those here today that need Your comfort. Lord, there are those here today that need to draw close to You. There are those here today that it appears to them that their world is just failing. And Lord, we thank You that You never fail. We welcome Your presence here, Your power to deal in our hearts and lives. We pray that Your Word would come alive today And just speak to each and every one of us. Lord, bless Your Word as it goes forth. Let it go forth in the demonstration of Your Holy Spirit's power. And Lord, minister to each one. In Jesus' glorious name, Amen. How many like David? Most of us like David. We like him for various reasons. Uh, A lot of men like him because he was a general. He was a warrior. We look and read it and we think, yeah, he's a man's man. A lot of us, or probably most of us, like David because even though he was a man after God's own heart, he wasn't perfect. And it encourages us that in our imperfection, we can still be people after God's own heart. Well, today I want us to continue this this study. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read an interesting passage of Scripture. It has to do with David and King Saul. And how they, they come together, how they meet, and how God orchestrates this. And today I want to, I've titled this message, David the Worshipper. One of the things that sometimes we don't really focus on is the fact that David was a worshiper. And that's an area of our lives we need to follow David in. Amen? It's interesting that music is powerful. We hear the saying that music soothes the savage beast. For years and years, man has thought that music actually soothes and even brings healing to mental distress. And I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and see how God uses music and uses a man who worships. And in this way, I want to be just like David. I want to be someone who's not ashamed to worship God. Amen? Let's begin with verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let your master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play, play it with his hand when the distressing Spirit of God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of, a son of Jesse, the B- Bethlehemite, Who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressed spirit would depart from him. Music is from the Lord. Music is intended to be a blessing to us. Music is intended to be a part of our lives. In fact, in the very, very beginning of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 4, in the genealogy there, given there, it talks about a man named Jubal. In verse 21 of Genesis 4, it says that he was the father of all those who played the harp and flute. Here it is in the beginning. This man was gifted with musical ability. And God says he's just the Father, the beginning, and there are going to be those that follow after him in this gifting. And so we see that music was intended by the Lord to be an important part of our lives. In fact, in God's Word, in the center of God's Word, we have a songbook. We call it the book of Psalms. And it's interesting to note that over half of those were written by David. God intends for us to be people of worship, people that are moved by music, people that don't just sit there and, you know, maybe tap our toe a little bit once in a while, but people who enter in, people who allow the music to minister in our lives, and for us to, to respond to the music and to be worshipers of the Lord. In our text, in 1 Samuel verses 14 and 15, I want to I address something here that's, it, that's important. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Now Saul was rebelling against God. This isn't a, a, an act where Saul made a, a, a mistake, he sinned, and that God's just beating him over the head. It's an, that what is taking place here is that Saul was saying, I can do this king thing. I can do it my way. I don't need you, God. And he was doing everything instead of God's way, his own way. He was rebelling, living a life determined and rebelling against God. And, and what happens? When, when that happens here, God says, "Well, if that's really what you want, I'm going to let you see what it's like." So God lifts His hand of protection, removes His Spirit, and the enemy comes in. He opened Himself up to the enemy. Now we need to understand as we read this that, that sometimes Christians read that and they think, "Oh my goodness, could that happen to me?" And, and we allow fear to come upon us. And in church, I want to address that because we need to understand what Scripture says, both in the Old Covenant and under the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, it was was common for the Spirit of God to fall upon someone, to equip them, to enable them, but then later to uh, lift off of them. In the New Testament, Jesus tells the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and the way it's written in the Greek means they receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to dwell in you. And when in the new covenant, when we invite Christ into our life to make him Lord and Savior, the Spirit of the Living God comes into our lives, comes into our spirit and communes with us. Amen? And so we don't have to have fear that, that if we mess up, that, that all of a sudden God's spirit's gone. And and I want you to understand that. Now, now let's think about this for a minute. There's scriptures that, that speak to this. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. I want you to understand the enemy can't come when Christ is in you. He can't come and knock on the door and say, hey, your time's up. I want to I take control for a while. Your heart or your spirit, the Bible talks about the heart and it's talking about the spirit, the core of, of who we are. And... and we need to understand that our heart is not a timeshare condo. I'm serious. Amen. We need to understand. Now listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 15 and 16. Paul's speaking to the church and he says, What accord has Christ and Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. He's saying, What accord does Christ have with Satan? They don't have an accord. Amen? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we we need to understand that we don't need to live in fear that Satan can come when we're living for Jesus, when he's living in our hearts and lives, and worry about Satan coming and taking control. Now at the same time, we need to also understand that if, if we do sin, that it gives access to the enemy. If we believe his lie, he can have, have a, a holder in our lives. He's not going to possess us. He's not going to control our spirit because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. Amen? So we don't, we don't live in fear of Him taking control, but if we open ourselves up, we can allow Him to have a little hold in our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now he's, say, he's speaking about this same thing. He's saying the devil wants to come and deceive you. If you listen to the lies of the enemy in your mind and you buy into those lies, you're giving him access into your life. You with me? That's why we need to know the Word. That's why we need, the Bible says, take every thought captive and make it subject unto Jesus. So when the enemy comes at you with a thought of lust or a thought of lying that you're no good, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you don't receive that. You say, Lord, I know what your word says about me. You love me. You care for me. You have a plan for my life. You take nobodies and you make them somebody's. And I'm a nobody and I've surrendered my life to you that you might make me a somebody. I am somebody in Christ Jesus. I am a son or a daughter of the true and the living God. Amen. In Ephesians, this is an important verse Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Now the word in the Greek there means we can give place to the devil. And what it means in the Greek is a place to occupy. It's not our spirit, but we're a triune being, aren't we? Spirit, soul, and body. That's what Scripture says. But in the area of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, or our flesh, the enemy can grab a hold if we allow him, if we buy into that lie. George, come help me today. I'm glad you're here. I love you, buddy. Say George here is struggling in an area of his life. Maybe he's he's had somebody in his life that years ago told him he would never amount to anything that his life was worthless, that he was useless, that they didn't even want him around. And instead of knowing what God's Word says about him, he buys into that lie. So the battlefield of the mind, the soul. And so he begins to believe that. And because he believes that, instead of believing God, he's opening up his life where the enemy can have a little hold in his life now he's not totally controlled by the enemy but the enemy will use this area that he's been given access to hinder george from doing all that god, god wants him to do right the rest of him lift your other arm see he, he can control that other arm but if he goes to use this one guess what the enemy's here and he can he can hinder him right the enemy wants to have a little hold that's why it's so important that every day we say Lord, I submit myself therefore unto you. The whole body, all that I am, Lord, is yours. And I resist the devil. And the scripture says that he will flee from you. Amen? So instead of living life when when George wants to go forward and do something great for God, and the enemy's holding back, holding on as hard as he can, don't let me rip your shirt. Okay? And I've used this illustration over and over. I use it almost every couple of months. If you've been here very long, you know that. Why? Because it's true and we need to understand it. Amen? Now, we don't live in fear that Satan's going to come and totally possess George and, and totally control him and do, make him do everything that he wants to because Jesus is in his heart. Amen? That's the essence of who he is. The center of who he is. And he fellowships with Christ. And he has the power of the living God in his life. Right. So Satan's not going to totally control him, but Satan can get a little foothold. The, the, scripture, thanks. Yep. the scripture says a, a place to occupy. The church, we, we don't need to live in fear. Throughout the Scripture, God addresses that, that you don't need to live in fear. In Luke chapter 10, everybody ought to have this underlined in your Bible. If you underline things in your Bible. And it's okay. It's not not blasphemy. I write in my Bible. I take notes. I study. But listen to this. James chapter 10 verse 19. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. He's not telling us we're all going to be exterminators. Okay? Listen to what he says. And over all the power of the enemy. Those are expressions he's talking about the demonic, serpents and scorpions. He says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Listen to that, church. Listen to that little word. A-L-L. All. 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 Satan only has power where we surrender it to him. Through believing his lies or through sinning and not letting God deal with our hearts and repent and cleanse us. He is under your feet. That's where God brings him when we live for him. Listen to what else it says. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Jesus says, we need to have our priorities. This thing about being stronger and more powerful, it only comes the power is, is from God. but when we're living for Him, we have that access to that power in our lives. And he says, "You don't need to worry about. The enemy, because I've given you all power over him, all authority over him. He's nothing compared to God. He's a created being. In fact, it's interesting, the Bible talks about, or Jesus actually said, with with the finger of God I cast out devils. And this is the picture. here's, Here's God. Chink, chink, chink. It's not a big deal. But church, don't give in to the lies of the enemy. And if he has a hold in you, come together with an elder, pray, and see God bring freedom into your life. Amen? In James chapter 4, verse 7, I quoted it a while ago. Therefore, submit to God... That's the first thing. Are we totally submitted to God? Or are there areas of our life that we're wanting to hold back from Him? Say, you know, I want to go to heaven, Lord, and and I want you to bless me, but I've got this little pet sin over here. Don't don't look. And and I kind of want to keep this little pet sin. No, you're giving access to the enemy. Listen to what it says. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Many times we don't resist the enemy. Many times we just say, oh yeah, I kind of like that. I want to give in to that. God says resist it. And then we've got the promise, He will flee from you. And then He says draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Do we spend our time Drawing closer to God. Because we have His promise that He's going to draw closer to us. The power of God is the only source of power that frees us. Are you with me? That's why Christian-based programs for people that are struggling with something that has mastered their lives work. Because it's not just dealing with it on a level of humanity, but it's going to the source of genuine freedom, Jesus Christ. When the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, I want you to look at 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 the next verse. Verse 16 and 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul's struggle was so evident to those around him that even his servant realized he needed help. It says, let our our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. It's interesting how God uses music and the the thought that was even there in ancient times that music soothes the soul. God uses that to bring Saul and David together and to minister to Saul. Verse 18 says, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. Who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, handsome, and what does it say? And the Lord is with him. What a resume. How many would love to have that resume? I love that. Skillful in playing. Not all of us are gifted in music. But if you are gifted in music, use that gift for the Lord. Amen? It says he, not only was he a skillful musician, but he was a mighty man of valor. He was courageous and he was a man of war. He, he was a warrior. Now, sometimes we get this idea that a, that a real warrior, a real man, a real man's man, isn't gonna really, he's not gonna play music. He's not gonna write songs. He's not gonna write poetry. Says here that he was also prudent in speech; he controlled his tongue. He knew when to speak and when not to speak. I like that. How many have ever said something that got you kind of in trouble? It also says he's handsome. I wish I, I was. I said, Lord, I wish I was handsome too. I'd like that. But of all these things that in David's resume, notice. It says, and the Lord was with him. Amen? In your resume, every one of us can have that in our resume. The Lord is with us. And that's the greatest thing that you can ever have in your resume. I love that. Lord, I want to be a man like that. I I want to be a man. that David was still compassionate. He was still... uh, compassionate and loving and kind. He knew when to hold his tongue, but he was still a man that was a man of war when he needed to be. He was a man of courage when he needed to be. And most of all, he was a man that said, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Now notice David was playing his harp in the fields of Judea. He had never met Saul, and yet he will ultimately replace him, and that's interesting. So God works out a way for them to meet, and I love the fact that we should never discount anything that is a skill that God's given us. Think about that. You know, a lot of us, when we're young, we get involved maybe in in music, or we get involved in different things, and we learn a skill, and some of us play sports and then later on we get married and adult life and we're thinking you know think of all the hours i wasted learning that and now i don't ever use it but i i don't think that's a, that's the right way to look at it god can take what is in your past he can take that skill like david and bring it into a, a, a way to minister to people you know, I spent hours on the basketball court. That was, that was my main sport. Play, I started when I was in elementary. I played in junior high, high school. Played in high school. Went to college and played. I played a lot of basketball. And I, when I got out of college, I thought, I'll never use this anymore and, uh, other than just for fun. But amazingly, God took that. And when I was in Wrangell, I, was, I, I had the opportunity to coach the high school basketball team. When I was in Anchor Point, the Lord opened up the door and I coached the junior high basketball team for several years. And I got to meet young young guys and and I, I not only taught them some basketball skills, but I taught them some skills about being a real man. And God used it because many of those guys that were on the basketball team with me came to the youth group on Wednesday nights. And so I I had an opportunity to speak into their lives about the things of God and being a a godly man and having the blessings of God in your life. So God took that that I just enjoyed doing. I realized later I spent a lot of time doing that. I learned a lot of skills, but God took that and enabled me to use it to minister to these young men. There were other times when I wasn't coaching directly. I would have a young man come to me and say, hey, I'd like for you to work out with just me and and teach me some things. So whatever skills God has given you, expect Him to bring those into now and and allow you to use those to minister to others. Amen? That's what God was doing with David. And David came there. Notice, David didn't come and he didn't say, Hey, Saul, uh, Samuel came to my house. He anointed me. I'm your replacement. He didn't say a thing. And there's a whole message you could get into there. I don't think Saul or David was walking around Saul looking at all of his wealth and his armor and his crown and all the things that he had and David saying, "Well, you know, I don't really like that. I think I'm going to move this and rearrange the palace a little bit. And I don't think David was doing that. Because David was there to serve the king, he was there to minister to the king. Are you with me? If God, and there's a message there, we talked a little bit about it last week. If God has given you a, a great. Uh, message a, a vision a, a dream or spoken to you from the word and you really feel like god's called me to to a certain ministry to to be a, a pastor maybe he's called you to be the next billy graham guess what david went back with the sheeps with sheeps, the sheep in judah right his dad didn't start treating him any different His dad said, you still have a job to do. Get out there in the field. Take care of the sheep. And God was molding him and making him into the man of God that he needed to be. And David wasn't ready. And so many times I see young men and women that that will mess their lives up because they think, oh, God's called me to to be the next Billy Graham. And so they start strutting around like, you know, I'm somebody. Somebody. And God still wants to work on them. He still wants them to be with the sheep out in the field and to do their very best and allow Him to work in their lives. Others don't even enter into any kind of ministry because they think, one day I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be a TV evangelist. Joel Osteen, move over. So they just sit back and say, okay, God, I'm ready. In church, we need to be out in the field taking care of business until God's time comes. A man or woman after God's own heart will see a point of need and, and get in there and minister, even if they don't think that's their ultimate ministry goal. When Melinda and I, I knew that God had called me to be a senior pastor uh, very early in my call. I knew that's what He was calling me to do. And, and there was no doubt in my mind. But at the ch- local church, what did I do? Melinda and I started helping with the children. We helped with the youth. We did whatever we could to minister. And then one day years later, God opened the door. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, I'm the senior pastor. God help me. And so David wasn't presumptuous about what God had spoken to him. He was willing to minister to the king. In verse 21 says, So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. That was a special position. An armor-bearer was someone who would hold the the armor, the, the weapons of the king as they would go into battle. But he was more than that. He was someone who would fight alongside of the king. Who would help protect the king, who would watch the king's backside for enemies trying to come around. He was there to help him fight and win. And David, even though he knew he would be king one day, it was ordained by God. It was going to take place. He wasn't looking into the future to that day. He was fighting along Saul until God brought it to pass. And he was his armor bearer. That'll preach. Amen? Do we have armor bearers today? You betcha. If you're elected as a deacon or a board member or a Sunday school teacher, if you're in leadership in the church, you should be an armor bearer to those that you're working with that are above you. And you should also have your own armor bearers that are there alongside to fight with you. Amen? There's a whole other message there, but we don't have time for it. Look at verse 22. Then Saul sent Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. I love that. Saul loved David, he had favor in his sight. He wanted him right there all the time. Verse 23 tells us why. And so it was whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. We're not told, but it's it's interesting to think about this. David would come and begin to play. David we know was a worshiper. And I just wonder, as, if, as David was playing, if he didn't begin to sing and worship. And I'm wondering if Saul didn't try to join in. I'm wondering if David didn't come in and say, O King, I've written a new song of praise for the Lord. Would you let me teach it to you that we can sing it together? We don't know, but we do know that the presence of God was there on David, in David's life, and as he began to minister, that Saul received refreshing. He received a blessing. David's presence and his praise and worship ministered to Saul. Look at verse... or let Let me share this with you. You don't need to look this up. David's heart was a heart of worship. Like we said earlier, he, he wrote over half of the Psalms. Listen to this one. In Psalm 34, David, verse 1, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. That's a tough one. When you're having a bad day, when you're having a fight or a spat, or when you're, when you're just down and discouraged, when things aren't going right, do you still praise the Lord at all times? And then he says praise his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I love that. David had experienced the power of God through worship. He, he understood it. And he is encouraging everyone to join him and say, "Let's exalt the Lord together." Will you join me? Let's magnify the name of our King and our Savior and our Lord. Amen. When praise and worship is is loosed by an individual or by a group, there is a tremendous amount of spiritual power available. Psalm twenty-two and verse three teaches us that God inhabits the praises of Israel or the praises of His people. And the word there is, is interesting. In the, in the context of a king, it means that God is enthroned in our praises. And I've talked about this time and time again, but we, we there's new people here, you need to grasp this. This is good stuff. When you're struggling, when you're in a battle, when you're in a fight with the enemy, Praise and worship is powerful. God's Word declares that when we just openly begin to praise Him, that we are enthroning the Lord in our situation. A king has a kingdom. He rules the kingdom. Throne speaks of the rule of God. In other words, we're welcoming the rule of God to overrule whatever battle we're in, whatever situation we're in. We're welcoming the rule of God to come and to overrule the enemy. Are you with me? So your praise is powerful. David understood this, and he's inviting everyone to join him. Come and magnify the Lord with me. Begin to praise Him and worship Him and welcome His kingdom rule to come and overrule the circumstances that you're battling. It's powerful, church. It works. And David is encouraging, come join me in this. Now the word that's there that translates inhabits means enthroned in in the sense of a king. It means to be seated. And that's what we're doing. God is ready to manifest His kingdom power in our lives in in the appropriate way for whatever situation we face. Now notice the word refreshed. It says that King Saul was refreshed. The word refreshed there means to be wide, to be spacious, to give space to as to bring relief. And the picture there is that this evil spirit had come upon him and was smothering him. Just oppressing him. Smothering him. So much that he was so discouraged, so depressed, he couldn't hardly breathe. And and, and as David begins to play and begins to worship the Lord, all of a sudden, that oppression is pushed back. And he begins to be able to catch his breath and receive refreshing and relief. It's interesting. Everybody knows Martin Luther, the great Reformer. There were two things that he said the Reformation will never be complete until these two things take place. First of all, that every believer has a Bible in their own language. And secondly, it's interesting, but he says that they also have a psalter, which was their music book. In other words, they would have a book filled with worship and songs that they can praise God with. So he's saying not only do we need the Word of God, but we need to worship Him and praise Him that we can fight this battle and be successful. It's interesting that before man was even created, music existed. Listen to this. You know in Job it's considered by most scholars to be the most ancient of the books of the Bible. In Job 38 in verse 7 it says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, Bible scholars have studied that and, 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 and they think, well, somehow the stars must have sang praise to God or made music and and then others say, no, that morning stars is a reference to the angels. But it's interesting, I did some research recently, you can go to NASA, you can study on their website, and guess what? The stars make music. You can actually hear the recordings that they've recorded. Now we know that that uh, space is virtually a vacuum, and it, But it doesn't mean that sound isn't in space. Sound still exists in the form of electromagnetic vibrations and can be detected using specially designed instruments developed by NASA. Yesterday I went online and I listened to some of the stars sing. God loves music. (laughs) It doesn't matter if, if you like classical or southern gospel It doesn't matter what style you like, music moves us. Music is intended by God to minister to us and to be something that we use to exalt His name. I like that. The angels sang. The planets, the stars were giving music. And finally, there's one more thing I want to share with us and I want you to get this. This is my final point and it's powerful. Praise silences the devil. There's more than one reference we could go to, but I'm going to give you Psalm verse 8, verse 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth, who have set Your glory above the heavens, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 16, but he quotes it in a way that makes it a little more understanding for us. Jesus quotes it speaking of the babes and the nursing infants. And he talks about perfected praise instead of ordained strength. He says perfected praise. And what I want want you to see is the babes and nursing infants are the weakest among us. The most vulnerable among us. Amen? And what, what the Scripture is telling us is that even the weakest among us can sing forth praise and worship and it says it will, what? Because of your enemies, it's going to silence the enemies. First of all, it speaks of enemies, and then it says, you may silence the enemy and the avenger. The enemies is a reference to the demonic, to the spirits. And if you, if you think, oh, that, who, nobody believes in demons. Jesus did. I've heard people say, well, He was just catering to the superstitious beliefs of the day. No, he was going and dealing with them and casting them out. There are fallen angels who followed Satan, who rebelled with Satan against God, and they still exist. The Bible says there's one-third of them followed Satan. That means God's got two-thirds, and besides that, God can just create as many as he wants. Satan can't. So we're not worried about it, and in this passage, God's telling us that the weakest among us have this authority, have this power, that when we begin to praise and worship God, as it comes forth, it's going to silence the enemies, it's going to silence the enemy, Satan himself. If you want, in other words, if you want to tell the devil to shut up, start praising God. Start worshiping God. Be a worshiper. Will you stand with me? David was a worshiper. He knew how to deal. David didn't come into Saul's chamber concerned about the fact that there was an evil spirit on Saul. Why? Because he knew his God. He knew that God was with him. And he knew that God was greater. So he began to minister and see Saul set free. There's a verse in Psalms that speaks of songs of deliverance. Church, when we just begin to hear those songs and sing those songs, God does Delivering work in our, in our lives. I've seen God minister to people in a powerful way during the worship time. And that's what I pray for all the time. That when our worship team comes and they begin to lead us, they're not trying to put on a show for you. They're like David saying, come and magnify the Lord with us. Let's shut the devil up today. Amen? So I encourage you, don't be a spectator. Don't sit back there and say, oh, there's Carol. I love Carol's voice. Don't say, oh, I love Caleb's guitar. Man, he's getting so good. Just join in with them and say, we're here to shut up the devil. We're here. To lift up our King and our Savior and our Lord. We're here to invite His presence to come and overrule what the enemy's doing in our lives or in our house, in our family, in our church. Amen? Don't be a spectator. You say, oh, pastor, I can't play. That's okay, you can join in. You say, pastor, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm off key." If I sing, people around me turn and look at me. You can still make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Just don't make it too loud. But join in, church. Say, Lord, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to be a warrior for you. I'm going to be a person that is not ashamed to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to sing and praise and worship you. I want to invite the prayer team to come. Some will come forward this morning and some will be around the back of the auditorium. But we want to pray with you. We want to agree with you today. Whatever you're struggling with today. Or if you want to stand in an agreement for someone else, God's Word tells us to be intercessors, to stand in the gap for others who need prayer. If you have someone that's on your heart today and you want to come and agree for them, whatever they're facing, feel free to do that. But if you don't have a prayer need today, then I want you to join the worship team. And not be worried about anything else, but have your eyes on Jesus. Have your focus on Him saying, Lord, I'm going to be a worshiper. Lord, I submit myself, therefore, unto you. I resist the devil, and according to your word, he's going to flee from me. Amen? Amen? We don't want even those little holes in our lives. Amen? We want to live in freedom and I encounter people all the time I have throughout my ministry they come and say pastor I love Jesus I've invited him in my heart and life I know I'm saved but there's an area of my life that I'm still struggling with it seems like I try and I try and I try and I just can't get past it and, and it can be something like anger it can be something like fear it can be something like lust it can be all kinds of areas in our lives where the enemy comes and has a stronghold But church, I want you to know when you come and you agree with your brother and sister in Christ and take it to Jesus, when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. He will break that thing, that hold off of your life and you can live in freedom. One of the saddest things I've encountered people that were well up in their years, I'm talking not just 70s, but in their 80s or late 80s. And I would find out that there's been an area that they've been struggling with since they were young. Their whole life, even though they loved Jesus, they had the enemy and He had that hold. He was tugging on them, pulling them back, hindering them from all that God wanted to do in their life. And they never came and brought it to Jesus. And they never found that freedom that He has for them. Church, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Bring it to Jesus and let Him set you free. Amen. Let's worship with Mitch.